Thank you, Daphne, for reading the scripture for us this morning. Uh, just a few announcements before we jump into the Word. First of all, uh, fill out that Connect card if you haven't done so. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, we have a Q&A. Uh, we do this from time to time to just ask questions you always want to ask uh, in, a way, in a forum that allows some privacy. And so we'd love for you to text your questions to 617-286-2006. On Wednesday, March 17th, we're going to be doing a Q&A on race, justice, and the church and talk through some personal experiences of people in our church and how um, this impacts our church and uh, and really kind of a vision going forward from this. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Text your questions in, again, to 617-286-2006. This past Sunday, we met in person uh, for the first time in a couple of months. It was such a joy to be together. So thankful for Antoine Brewster uh, for coming and uh, and teaching us from the Word. Uh, Excited to partner with him and support him as he plants Crossroads Fellowship Church in Dorchester. Chester, uh, hopefully this fall. Um, and then, and so we're going to be meeting again uh, in a couple of weeks. We're going to meet together on March 21st. Uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. There'll be some details uh, forthcoming and in, 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 uh, probably next week. And then we're looking towards Easter. We're about a month away from Easter. I'm so excited for this. We have a great Holy Week prepared for you. And we're going to gather together virtually with the rest of the City on a Hill churches uh, for Good Friday. We're hosting that this year. We're going to be a part of that. Um, and, and then we're going to be together on Easter Sunday. Sunday. We're going to worship outdoors in the first of our weekly services together. We are so excited to be a part of that. So be on the lookout for those details. And when it comes to that, be sure to pray, pray for the event, but also begin to pray about who you would invite to come to, to, to Easter. Um, the st- uh, stats showed that people will come based on a personal invite. So we would love for you to do that. Now, you may have noticed that I forgot to mention our values. We mention this every week. If you're a part of City on a Hill, you know, we talk about gospel, community, and mission every single week. And so you might be going, hey, he didn't mention those. Well, part of the reason is that we're going to dive into one of those today. Our, our, our values are the gospel that Jesus gave his life for us, uh, also mission that we tell others about that good news, but then, it, then community. Community is uh, one of our values, and a way that we often describe community is friendship centered around Jesus. Community is friendship with Jesus in the middle. And so as we take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, on mission to tell others, what we're doing is we're taking that good news into broken places. We're taking that good news into broken relationships to broken people and giving hope, giving the hope of Christ. And so the gospel answers our biggest questions and our biggest problems. And one of those that we're experiencing right now as a, as a culture and in, in our country, and, per, and this actually affects people who live in cities more than others, is loneliness. Loneliness is a profound problem. A recent study showed when it came to friendship that we're getting worse at building friendships. Uh, The study said that we have, on average, 16 friends. Uh, Only about two to three of those could be considered lifelong friends. Um, About another eight or so are those, or sorry, five or so are those who um, we would hang out with one-on-one. Then about eight to nine are people we like, but we probably don't want to hang out with too regularly. It's a pretty low bar for friendship. It also said that the average friendship only lasts about seven years. The study also said that one in five millennials and, and Gen Z, people who are part of Gen Z, the most socially connected uh, you know, generations in human history are also the lonely, loneliest. One in five said they have no friends. They don't have a single person that they could count as a friend. 
And the reason is, is that we're constantly moving about. We're, we're, very, we're also the most mobile generations in human history. Uh, uh, Fletcher, who's the lead pastor at City on the Hill Somerville, uh, he says that, you know, our generation moves 10 times in 10 years looking for relationships that last a lifetime. We're constantly moving. We're not constant with anyone. And I do believe that social media is training us to be bad friends. The idea of friendship, the depth of friendship is being flattened and shallowed out in a way that even the term friend on Facebook is kind of nebulous. I have 1,848 Facebook friends. Now, Facebook is great. I've made some uh, connections with people. I've reconnected with people from high school. There's friendships that have actually started there. But the majority of those people, I don't know. I don't know them very well. It's a ministry contact. It's just, I don't know them personally. I, they really don't meet the criteria for a friend. I think that what's happened is that we know how to be friendly, but not how to be a friend. We've forgotten how to make friends. And as adults, it's really, really hard. There are so many kids' books about friendship. They're about making friends with people who are different than us. But how many friend, books on friendship have you written or read as an adult? Making friends is hard. In fact, Drew Hunter wrote a book on friendship called Made for Friendship. And in this book, he talked about the ache in our souls for relationship. He called this the Edenic ache because from the very beginning of creation, we were created to need other people. As people who are made in the image of God, we are created for a relationship. And what's unique about Christianity compared to any other religion is we don't believe in multiple gods, but we believe in one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God has existed as a relationship, as a friendship for all eternity. And so God, in fact, in order to love us, is demonstrating and bringing that friendship, bringing that relationship to creation. He created man to know and enjoy him relationally. But you notice in the very beginning, Adam, who was perfect without sin, was with God, was lonely. He needed somebody else to spend time with. See, friendship is not a human invention. It begins with God. And I actually believe that a part of the mandate for us to fill the entire world with the glory of God is relational. That we, as we love God, we do so through loving and caring for one another in friendship. And I believe that the church is the place where we see that friendship happen. And I believe that the church needs to embody a culture of friendship, of being really deep friends centered around Jesus. And so we have to know what it means to be a friend and how to make friends. And so as we, we, we've been going through this series on the life of David, we get an example of that in the friendship of David and Jonathan. What's really cool about David's life and the way that the Bible portrays him is David's not a 2D character. He's not like an action hero who you don't know what his family of origin is like or what his likes or his dislikes or his emotions are. He's a, he's a very complex person like all of us. He's a, he's a warrior. He's a king. He's a poet. He's a musician. He's, we'll see later, he's a husband, a father, and he is a friend. We see this in the life of David. And we see in David and Jonathan's relationships three things that make good friends and good friendships. So the first that we see this morning is good friends let you in. They let you all the way into their lives. 
Looking at verse one, we see this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, talking about David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now this is some really unique, some really strong language about the affection that Jonathan had for David. David has just defeated Goliath. Emotions are high. It says all all the way back in chapter 17, verse 52, we looked at this a couple weeks ago as David defeated Goliath, that um, the people of Israel and Judah rose up after David's victory. David's victory was their victory. In uh, chapter 18, verse 16, it said they loved him. Saul deeply respected him enough to bring him into his house, make him a part of his family, and put him as commander over his armies. And Jonathan's response is, Jonathan is is there as as David is talking to Saul post-victory, and there's this really strong language around his affection for David. It says that his soul was knit to David's soul, and that he loved him as his own soul. These are not categories that we in the Western modern world would attach to friendship. We wouldn't describe friendship this way. And it actually has led some, some scholars even, to say that there was a romantic relationship here between David and Jonathan. And I want to be very careful as, as we venture into this. I want to be very thoughtful. Um, that, but that's not what's being described here. Now, I actually think that because that's not what be, is being described here, there's actually a tone of hope particularly for our same-sex attractive brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to follow Jesus, who are trying to be faithful to a biblical sexual ethic, to our LGBT neighbors who are longing for meaningful connection, Uh, for our opposite-sex attractive friends who are single and some may be called to a lifetime of singleness. We need these types of affectionate friendships, these non-sexual affectionate friendships. They're vital But what's being shown to us here between David and Jonathan is also that they're possible. We need to look at the text and see exactly why it's a a platonic relationship. And, And we see it in that word knit, that Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. This is not a term for sexual or romantic love, but it is the, is a unity of heart. In the ancient world, this is how they would describe friends. And it seems foreign to us, but Aristotle said that a friend was friendship was two, was one soul in two bodies. Charles Spurgeon, the great British uh, pastor and thinker over almost 2000 years later, over 2000 years later said, one heart must be as the other or else there is no friendship. This is a beautiful picture of friendship. In fact, this is the same idea that we see uh, in the New Testament about our unity in Christ, that we are unified in Christ. Acts 4 verse 32 says that the early church was of one heart and of one soul. And then Colossians 2, 2 said that they were knit together in love. Also the term love. Again, this is not sexual in nature, but we need to look at the context of the entire story. We see um, in verse 20 of chapter 18 that David married Saul's daughter, Michal, that they loved one another and that they were married. And then if you look in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26, we see that David calls Jonathan his brother. And that idea that his, he is his brother is really important because he says that his love for Jonathan as he's mourning, deeply grieving his death, surpassed the love of women, not because it was romantic, but because it was unique, because it was different, because we are made for and we need these types of friendships. These are the types of friendships that help us form every type of relationship. 
but it also has to do with how we view relationships and how we view physical touch. So in, in, in uh, other countries, especially in, uh, in you know, Eastern countries, physical touch between people of the same gender is not uncommon. People will uh, get, uh, kiss, greet each other with a kiss, or they might even hold hands. But it also is because of Western gender stereotypes that particularly men show no emotion or affection with one another. There was a Twitter poll not long ago asking men, um, when was the last time that your father hugged you? And a, an enormous number of men said never. They could never remember a single time that their father hugged or touched them. And it actually became this, there was this flood of pictures of men loving and hugging their teenage sons, showing them physical affection. We need physical affection. And there's hope here because not every person is guaranteed a romantic relationship. But we can have life-giving, affectionate friendships. They're beautiful, affectionate friendships. And these types of friendships require that we let people all the way in. We let them in on the heart level. And what this means is that they require vulnerability and transparency. Vulnerability and transparency that, that we let them see our hearts and we get to see theirs. And when we have this mutual vulnerability, this mutual transparency, what happens is C.S. Lewis says that's what it means to make a friend because you look at somebody and say, wait a minute, me too. I thought I was the only one. This is what it means to be friends. To be knit together means you got to get below the surface. Think about the way that we have conversations with people. We see someone at work or a friend. What's the first thing we say? How are you? How's it going? What's up? Like we say these things and when we, when we tell someone, hey, how are you? We don't expect a legitimate response. We expect them to say, fine, okay, hmm, bad day. Like, but we don't expect them to dive into all the deepest longings and struggles that they have. We set ourselves up for this, but what's being described here is letting people into the level that they get, you get to longings, you get to desires, you get to failures and struggles and hurts and joys, and you begin to peel back on all the curtains, uh, uh, peel back the curtain on all the stuff and remove all the barricades around your heart to keep, that you keep up to protect yourself. And you let them in. And to let someone in this, on this level, you have to trust them. There has to be a level of trust to let somebody in. See, Jonathan sees David and he's a, he sees a man of character. He sees a man of courage. He sees a, a man of conviction and his heart leaps. And he says, that's a man that I would trust with my life. That's a man that I would follow. That's a man that I could be honest and vulnerable with. And this morning, you might want that. You might want that level of friendship, but you're like, I am so broken. I am so hurt. And there are obviously proper levels of, of intimacy as you grow in a friendship with someone. We, it's kind of progressive. But we want you to know that if you're hurting, we're so glad that you're here. Jesus welcomes you and this church welcomes you with open arms. We want City on a Hill to be a safe place for broken people. Or as Ray Ortland says of the church, that it should be a good place for those in bad shape. If that's you this morning, we want you to know that you're in a safe place. Maybe you've also, maybe you're one who's experienced healing even through this church. You've seen God heal your heart relationally because you've had relationships centered around Jesus. Are you turning around and being a safe place for others? Are you the kind of friend that people want to be vulnerable with, that they will open up their lives with? 
See, friends let you all the way in. Secondly, good friends stick together. Good friends stick together. We see this in verse three. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. See, if you're gonna let somebody in, it's gonna require a commitment. There's a commitment involved because friendship on a deep level requires constancy. It requires commitment. It requires consistency. It requires knowing that someone is with you and they're not going to leave you, that they're not going anywhere. See, when Jonathan sees David, he sees his heart. He sees his character and he says, I'm all in. I am all in. If, if I am with you to the end. And he makes a covenant with him. Now, as we mentioned before, a covenant is different than a contract. A contract says, I'll do my part if you do your part. But a covenant is different. A covenant says, I'm with you and I'm for you. I'm with you and I'm for you. We see this in the way that God relates to his people in the Old Testament. God says, I am your God and you are my people. And what God does, his actions flow out of his commitment to be for them. His actions uh, uh, for their good, to preserve them, is not based on their performance, but based on his commitment. As a church, we have a membership covenant. And I often say when we do a membership covenant, we're saying, you know what? These are my people and this is my mission. I'm here, I'm for you, and I'm with you. A covenant requires commitment and consistency because that's what creates safety. A commitment that I'm going to be here consistently, I'm going to be here often, creates a safe place. And so I actually believe that all healthy relationships are covenantal. All healthy relationships are based upon being for the other person. And it, what happens is that it keeps us from bad relational patterns. In the West, we tend to live on a user-consumer uh, type of plane when it comes to relationships. It's, I need something from you. You can give me something. And I'm with you until you can no longer give it to me. Or it's no longer enough for me. That's why, that's why uh, non-marital sexual relationships don't work. They don't have the constancy that covenant requires for that type of intimacy. Friendship requires a type of covenant. I am here with you. I'm not leaving when you stop fulfilling my needs. And it also helps us not to overburden another person. I'm not looking to another person to fulfill all of my needs, but asking, how can I love and care for them? If we see it as a covenant, it keeps us from judging and saying, if you were just a better friend, then I would be a better friend to you. But what makes Christian friendship so unique, and I actually believe the deepest and most life-giving type of relationship, is that there's a third person involved in that relationship. It's the Lord. The Lord strengthens our relationships, and it gives us a sense of commonality as Christians. Every relationship that's going to work, every friendship that works, requires having something in common. You got to have like a common interest, like a hobby. Maybe you enjoy soccer, or maybe you enjoy football or, or painting or music, and, and you bond with someone about that. Maybe you bond over The Office or some sort of TV show, but there's something that first attracts you to someone. It could be common experience, you know, maybe cultural. Like if I meet somebody and I hear them start talking about biscuits and gravy and they're from the South, like there's an immediate connection because I, I, we have something in common. But it can also be a common hope, something that we're longing for, something that we desire. See, David and Jonathan both deeply loved the Lord and what gave them a deep friendship with one another is that they both were longing after him. My wife showed me 
we were first dating, she showed me this triangle. And she said, every relationship is like this. It's like a triangle. At the, at the two bottom corners, uh, the vertices is, is you and, and the other person. And then at the top is God. And as, as the two people grow closer to the Lord, they grow closer to each other, whether that's a marriage or a friendship. We grow closer to one another as we grow closer to Jesus. And this is the heart of biblical friendship. Jonathan Holmes says that biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ, pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than serving as an end in itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to, give, to bring glory to Christ who brought us into friendship with the Father. See, covenant commitment to one another, particularly among those following Jesus, gives us the room to work at friendship. Look, making friends is hard. It takes effort. But if we're committed to one another, this can happen. The desire to be a multicultural church requires that we do the hard work of building friendships and we long toward the common hope we have in Jesus. So so how does sticking together help us? What does this look like? Well, we stick together in the middle of the everyday stuff. You become friends with people by just doing things together. You hang out, you eat meals, you, you celebrate, you, you bless each other, you go for walks, you do all the simple stuff. This is why it was so easy for kids, as kids, to make friends. We went to school, we played on the playground together, we went to the lunchroom together, we were in class together all day, we kind of just did stuff together, we kind of got over ourselves, and we just became friends. As an adult, the rhythms of our life don't really lend themselves to building friendships, we go to work, we stare at our computer. Right now, we're in the living room. And so we stare at our computer, we, we come home, we, get it, we pull in the driveway, we go inside, we watch TV. That doesn't help us build friendships. It's in the everyday stuff, the natural rhythms of life, we make friends. And so I want to challenge you in this. The next time you do something, whether it's eating a meal or going to the store or uh, going to the park, invite somebody along. Get creative. I know that we're in the middle of the coronavirus and this makes it really difficult. But be creative. Find ways to do the everyday stuff together. And what's unique about friendships that we, versus other types of love is that we can invite others into it. Romantic love, it's like two people are facing one another. But in friendship, it's, it, you're walking side by side. And in fact, in Greek, there was an entire word set aside for brotherly love, friendship. You're walking side by side, and those types of friendships become sweeter when you invite other people in. If we invite a new friend into a friendship, my friend, I know him better because there's another friend there that I would not see the side of this person if that other person wasn't a part of it. Friendship is, is open, and it allows us to love other people. See, just being together matters. Presence matters. This is why COVID-19 has been so devastating for us as churches, because we're meant to be together. We're meant to be embody the gospel. We're meant to love and care for one another on Sundays and over meals and community groups. We're meant to gather together. But it's not just in the everyday stuff. It also, sticking together helps when things get hard. They help when stuff gets difficult. In verse 3, we see that Jonathan makes a covenant with David. A few chapters later, he renews the covenant with David. So what happened in the middle? Well, Saul, Jonathan's dad, tried to kill David. That would be a hard thing on a friendship if my friend's dad tried to kill me. 
But Jonathan says, I'm with you and I'm still with you. I'm with you through all the hard stuff. Eugene Peterson says that, that friendship bracketed suffering. And that's what real friends do. They bracket suffering and they help us get through the most difficult things in life. They help us get through transitions. They help us get through moving. They help us get through sickness and through pain. We need these types of friendships. See, Jonathan loves like Jesus loves. Drew Hunter says that if you are his friend, talking of Jesus, then he has set his heart on you and it will never be moved. At City on a Hill, we want to build and cultivate friendships like that. We want to build a gospel culture where we embody the love of Jesus to one another. And we need this desperately. None of us were meant to get through life on our own. None of us were meant to follow Jesus by ourselves. Hebrews 3 verses 12 through 14 say, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This culture of friendship, if we're given time where we could be vulnerable and we could be transparent, Jesus begins to shape us to look more like him. A place where we can love and be loved, know others and be known, serve others and be served. And this is why it's so important for you to get involved with a community group. Even socially distanced over a screen, we love and we care for one another. So what kind of friend are you? Are you a, a, a consistent friend, a committed friend, a constant friend? Or do you tend to be a sporadic friend? Can you be counted on? Lastly, we see that good friends make sacrifices. See, letting people into your heart and committing to not go anywhere ends up leading to living for their good. And when you live for the good of other people, what happens? You have to make sacrifices. Here in verse four, we see Jonathan make a deep sacrifice. He says, uh, it says, and Jonathan stripped himself of his robe and was on, that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. He takes all of this off. And this seems really generous, but exactly how generous is this? Uh, last year, there was this challenge called the All In Challenge, where all these celebrities were selling their cars. And so, uh, you know, Eli Manning sells this $110,000 Corvette. And uh, Meek Mill uh, sells his, you know, $200,000 Rolls Royce. I can't believe it's said the names Meek Mill and Eli Manning in the same sentence. But it, it seems really generous until you realize that Meek Mill is worth $20 million dollars. And Eli Manning is worth $150 million. That's a drop in the bucket. They're just going to go drive the next car in their driveway. Jonathan gives everything. By giving up his robe, his royal robe, he's giving up his opportunity and his right to be the king for David. He's giving these things away. And yes, this is what it looks like to be a good friend is to make sacrifices. Now, we have to use wisdom, of course. We, have to, we need boundaries, but good friends sacrifice. Are you the kind of friend who says, you know, that might not be my favorite thing, but I'll do it because I love you more than my preferences? Are you the kind of friend that says, you know what, that doesn't fit my schedule, but I'll be flexible for you? Are you the kind of friend who's willing to disrupt your plans because I love you more than my schedule? See, real community, real friendship is willing to flex for others, for the good of others. Oh, to have a friend like Jonathan. But Jonathan points us forward, the truest friend, 
John 15, verses 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. See, Jonathan's friendship shows us two things. It shows us both how Jesus sacrifices for us and our response to Jesus. See, like Jesus, Jonathan laid down all the rights that he had as king. And he loved David because he was for David. He did this to give David a place in the family, to elevate David, to sacrifice for David. See, what Jesus did for us is he laid down his rights as the son of God. He came, he took on the form of a servant, and he died on the cross in mine and your place so that we could be a part of God's family. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. The heart of the gospel is friendship because Jesus calls you friend. But also we see in Jonathan how we should respond. Jonathan is like us because he lays down all his rights to be king over his life, to give it over to the true king. He sees David as the true king. See, to be Jesus's friend, you have to follow Jesus as king. To be Jesus's friend, he must be your king. You have to surrender your life to him. You have to submit your plan and your agenda to him. You have to trust him. And in doing so, you find no greater friend. What's your next step? Maybe you need to be this type of friend. Listen, if you heard this sermon and you said, you know what, man, all my friends are terrible. You missed the point. What type of friend do you need to be? Are you the type of friend people will be vulnerable with? Do you stay? Are you committed? Are you consistent? Do people look at you and think, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I'm in? Or maybe Jesus needs to become your friend. That you need to trust him and give him your life. What friends that we can have in Jesus because Jesus chose to be our friend. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you chose to come down to earth and bring friendship to us. What greater love can a man have than to lay down his life for his friends? You, Lord, laid your life down for us and called us friends. So Lord, as your church, help us to embody this culture of friendship to one another. That we would embody the love of Christ in the way that we know and care for others, the way that we invite people into our lives, the way that we are consistent and stick with people, and the way that we make sacrifices so that people will know your great love. And we pray all this in your name.